This is the 110th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper and legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me, as always, are my dear co-hosts Robinson Sien and Christopher Wikström. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Hello, everybody. Hello. I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found whenever we release on the Top Deck app. We have been a little absent for a while here due to some technical issues and holiday commitments. So now we thought we would return with uh, easing into things here in 2024. And hence, in this episode, we're going to be in uh, both a bit of a 2023 review mode, but also taking the opportunity to tackle some lighthearted legacy adjacent discussions about art and pizza. In general, one can really argue that the scene has proven itself to be strong last year, with a lot of players coming out for the larger tournaments. At the same time, consensus has been quite strong around the opinion that Legacy is in a good spot, perhaps better than in a long time. We will not debate the validity of that statement, but simply acknowledge that a lot of people are happy at the moment. However, as per usual, we have some paper results to go over first. Robin, you started this year with a 4-0 at Locals last week. How about that? Good start in New Year for me. So I played the bean deck that I have been running ever since I got my beans and the deck together. And I've been between work all December, so I've been playing a lot more magic than I usually do. Oh, wow. Really fortunate to have a lot of people who wanted to play with me during daytime. So I've <laughs> gotten some practicing in and, and tested a, this uh, new deck out quite a lot, actually. Should I go through the deck list, perhaps? Yeah, let's. Why not? So... It's four Orcish Bowmasters, three Triumph of St. Catherine, three Merktide Regents, and one Leovold Emissary of Trest. Four Brainstorm, four Ponder, two Portent. Four Swords to Plowshares, and four Leyline Binding. Four Force of Will, two Force of Negation. Four Up the Beanstalk, three Lorian Revealed. Four Flooded Strand, one Misty Rainforest. One Marsh Flats, Island, Plains, Savannah, Scrubland, two Tropical Island, two Tundra, two Underground Sea. That's a four-color mana base. No red for the very cheap Leyland Binding. I think that is a little bit too greedy if you don't play one of the Triomes. And, uh, well, I don't have any Triomes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. So last week, which decks did you face when you took it down? The first match was up against Lance, and the first game was a crazy good game, where he starts out with a fast Sylvan Library, and I respond with a fast Orc. On his next turn, he makes a Merit Lage, and I have a plow for it. I plow it and land a little Merktide, just a 4-4. And start beating him from 40 life. <laughs> that's a mountain to climb. Yeah, that's a mountain to climb. So I have like six damage each turn. And he dredges loam and picks up his thespian stage and his dark depths. And each second turn, he goes for a new merit lage. So I answer six merit lage with plows <laughs> and bindings. Oh my God. <laughs> Until I have accumulated enough beanstalks to draw a lot of cards and to put more murktides into play to grow the first murktide who was like a baby murktide <laughs> and eventually i have an overwhelming 20 power swing each turn <laughs> and, and managed to win that game this sounds like a super quick uh, game of magic no it was very drawn <laughs> out <laughs> obviously uh, it was nice. so crazy i mean I just kept playing without hope, but then like the card advantage accumulated more and more, and suddenly I could like climb back from that crazy hill that I built with 
three swords to plowshares, gaining him 60 life. That was game one, and in the second game, he had a quick sphere and large constructs, which I couldn't handle. And uh, on the third game, he tried to choke me, but I had binding for that. And then I had a pretty large Merc Tide, which bet him down. And then in the second match, I was up against Yes Guy. And the first game was really grindy. I started out strong with a Bowmaster on his Brainstorm. I think he was a little... He was like, oh no, I shouldn't Brainstorm at that point when I played the, the Bowmaster. Beans and that bow let me take it down. In the second game, I thought he was on a pretty much creatureless list. So I actually boarded out all the plows. And he started with the double cycle Timeless Dragon. And then just playing them from the graveyard and uh, followed that up with the Catherine which I managed to uh, take with a binding but like I couldn't deal with the four force <laughs> with the hand that I was given and then the third game I had a lot of beans and I also had blue blast from the board when he tried to uh, blood moon me out and the beans found a murky and uh, that sealed the deal third match was up against initiative he starts out with a quick fable, which I managed to force will. And then his hand is a little bit slow with a follow-up fable, maybe on turn three. And I have orcs that can take the initiative when he finally gets to those cards. So like when when that deck is not super fast, you can usually raise it with Merktides and orcs. On the second game, I misplay a little bit. He has a 5-3 red initiative guy. And he has put then forge counters on it, which I just like, like there's a die <laughs> marking them, but I totally neglect that they exist and attack into it with my Leovold, which I gladly would trade with that guy. And then in the third game, I have uh, again a lot of beanstalks, and he has a pretty slow hand and not enough pressure. And I just running him over. And then uh, for the finals of the night, I'm up against Delver. You were spectating not yeah, the entire yeah, yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. In the first game, I'm a little bit on the back foot, but I managed to land a Catherine at somewhere like six, seven life, I think. And the Catherine just turns the tides, and it's very hard to race, of course. It's like racing a batter skull. Yeah. Almost. Basically. And then in the second game, he beats me down, and I almost stabilize on three mana, and I have a lot of beans in play. I'm just trying to get my Catherine down to start like gaining life. And at some pivotal turn, he has digging and digging and digging for the lightning bolt and finally finds it. And he bolts me, I force a will, he pyroblasts back, and I have a force will but not the blue hand, blue card in my hand, and I scoop. And <laughs> Christopher reminded me that I had a lot of cards to draw with the beanstalks, I should just have let the pyroblast resolve, the force is countered, now I draw my beanstalk triggers, draw cards, and if I find a blue card I can force again, going down to one, and maybe I could have salvaged that game, but I just scooped when <laughs> he blasted my force. I was in shock, I was like, <laughs> let the stack resolve, Robin, see what happens, you have, you know, you're about to draw three cards, that's uh, ancestral, yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah, ancestral in response to the bolt is very good. Unfortunately, I didn't uh, acknowledge that. <laughs> <laughs> so in the in the third game, he is quite aggro and he spews his hand to protect his threat, and he also ends up pyroblasting a ponder of mine. 
and with like just two cards left in my hand, I can slam a Murktide, a big one. And his Dragonstrait Channeler is just going to attack into it. And since he's hellbent and wasted his Pyroblast on the Ponder, he just scoops it up and uh, is finished with the game. Murky Boy is uh, big in this deck usually and a uh, very good finisher for like this kind of mid-range deck. I like it very much. Yeah, it's always it never feels great when you know that you play against uh, one of these really slow control decks. Mm. Keeping in Swords to Plowshares and things like that to beat the Murktide doesn't feel great because if you end up in a situation where you just keep playing Beanstalks, you're going to be able to win. <laughs> like the fight over your own threats also so yeah. it's it's very gnarly playing against this deck yeah and it feels very strong i mean there's of course some weaknesses to it like blood moon uh, that kind of things but i think that i've shored up those weaknesses as good as possible when we were testing christopher you owned me with <laughs> back to basics in several games that was really hard to deal with since yeah. i don't play any red blast on my own and i don't play force of vigor either so it was just like counter it or bind it or just die <laughs> in that scenario you know as i played the learn and this was like maybe three or four weeks ago i knew that you won't really have a clock so mm. everything is going to resolve around this back to basics. And if you can't solve it, uh, you can't win. So all counter spells, everything is just protecting it. But you did uh, face down a pretty nice slew of, uh, you know, tier one decks as well. So yeah, good on you. And uh, the deck clearly showed the potential. It's absolutely shown in 2023, taking down major scalps. So nice, nice. What about you, Christopher? Do you have any paper play to report on? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do a very speedrun version of the last Thursday I played in 2023 and the first one I played this year. I played Stacks, actual smokestack. Yeah, yeah, baby. I have a noble goal. Like, this is off-season, uh, so goal. the results doesn't matter. My win cons week one was Metal Worker Beatdown or Mishra's Factory Beatdown. Nothing else. Strunk. Yeah, like the opponent scooping is the most common way of winning. <laughs> For sure. But something is cursed. When I sleeve up this deck, my round one opponent, two weeks in a row, has been red-white initiative. <laughs> this matchup is so horrendous, I can't <laughs> even. It's so bad. I have a no noble goal. I want to play at least one game where my opponent does not cast a single spell. And week one, I managed to do that three games. One of those were a 2-0 against an Oops All Spells deck. I'm sorry <laughs> for that. <laughs> Game one, I won the die roll. I mulled to four and jammed the Trinisphere on turn one. And he was like, yep, can't beat that. And in game two... I serum powdered it down to a ley line and he hadn't boarded anything for that. So he just scooped them up. <laughs> that was that. And yeah, like stacks, it's probably the worst Trinisphere deck, but it's <laughs> the most fun when everything comes together. Magic is a zero sum game. I was just going to say, it's such a zero sum game, noble deck. Here. I managed to <laughs> play three games where I did all game actions. It's great. I'm very proud of you. I played some stacks. We're going to hear more about my 2024 plans, but there are some changes incoming. For myself, 
I have been uh, on the highly receiving end of uh, end of the year work, logistics, uh, family, juggling over holidays, etc., etc. So I haven't really played anything. But I have done the I've sold a car and converted some of that money into cardboard. So my uh, playset of the One Ring are on their way. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that later. And with that... Let us take a look at the cards. We mentioned some of them now, of 2023. We saw the release of, as usual, a lot of sets with Legacy Legal cards. It seems to be that we've ceased talking about sort of, oh, we live in this new era where sets always bring playables and it's just like a normal thing. And almost all of these breakthrough cards, though, they came from either Magic Gathering, Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle-Earth or Wilds of Eldraine. The Lord of the Rings set gave us the strategy warping cards such as Orcish Bowmasters, the One Ring, some land cycling cards, and the Commander set also brought uh, forth Aerlingus to the tables, which of course all of them made huge splashes. Wilds of Eldraine, on their hand, gave us uh, the big deck energy cards such as Besiege to Mirrors and of course the aforementioned up the Beanstalk, but also, but also Questing Druid. And uh, earlier in the year, uh, we should not forget Phyrexia All Will Be One contributed at least to my gameplay with the Traxite Grand Unifier, which I slept on for a long time, but finally conceded was actually a good card. So overall, quite a few cards were added to the playable pool in 2023, some of which had effects on the various strategies of some decks. So what do you say about this paper year, guys? I thought that the spring was more like calm when it came to printing i had started playing an adept during the fall and like started getting better and mastering that deck during the whole spring could basically play the same deck and don't didn't have to like make a lot of changes to it and i thought the gameplay was really good during the spring Possibly because the changes was uh, not so big and the meta game was, I mean, pretty good in in general, pretty balanced. And I also had really good success. So maybe my view is a little bit like affected by that. But I had a great run during the league, and then of course also won the league finals with the uh, Nine Adepts. But then when the Lord of the Rings set came, everything changed in Legacy, and it was like from day to night, night to day. And I I had to put that deck on the shelf. I mean, I played it quite a lot, but it didn't feel nearly as good as it did before Lord of the Rings. And I had a little bit of uh, trouble to find a a deck that I could enjoy in in the same manner. But I think uh, like the cards that were printed in the Lord of the Rings have mostly been good for Legacy. And the gameplay now is really good, I think. It just... Like, I I guess the downside is that you had to acquire a lot of new cards, so to say. And as a legacy player, you, you like that slow, evolving meta where you buy perhaps a playset to, uh, like, uh, change up your decks or that. But, like, this was several playsets to make the decks competitive again. If you don't account for, like, the financial aspect of it, I think that the the gameplay is really good now as it is. And uh, I hope to see not too many changes nor bans in the recent time coming because uh, I like the gameplay as it is. I agree. I think uh, this is one of the places in a pretty long time where brainstorm is not the de facto perhaps best thing to do i mean sure i still believe that the best decks do play brainstorm but the gap is very close now one thing that i think was really great about the year is one of the things robin talked about with you know power level and making 
a lot colors viable. I mean, sure, a lot of black decks started playing the Troll of Casadoom and Orcish Bowmasters and things like that. But before the Lord of the Rings set came, we had this very cool area where both control decks were trying to, you know, re-identify the archetype with Staff of the Storyteller and Delver got new tools every here and then uh, with the Fairy Mastermind uh, which saw very little play because of Bowmaster, <laughs> but also the Mercurial Spell Dancer. And it was like, these are cards that are in the right power level to keep Legacy very fun and interesting mm. because nothing really comes out of the gate storming like this is a very powerful card. And I think some of the more powerful cards that we have seen that has that you know feel to it still requires something to go right. Besiege the Mirror, Four Fearlingas, the One Ring, it does require for things to already sort of go your way or you being very committed to doing something. So I think the power level this year has been really great. The cards are also just quite fun to play with. And that's that's something I always think is great. If a meta can be unhealthy in you know what archetypes are the best but if the format is fun you don't notice it as much and for me the like 2023 was just a great year for legacy at like uh, design and everything i don't think i've seen a card this like last year when i looked at it and i thought this is completely broken and i hate it maybe i will change my mind in a couple of months when you know maybe beanstalk or things like that are getting even more tuned but we'll see yeah i mean i'm not going to add to to what you guys have said by repeating it i i, I think they're both you bring forth very valid points what i, what I will say is that in 2023 i haven't missed any of the banned cards that were banned recently like early in the year or the year before you, you can discuss sort of were these banned for power level reasons or other reasons and there is always sort of you can dig very deep into that hole i'm not going to do that i'm just going to say that they were not sorely missed by anyone i would say on the contrary i think people found it nice and and while sort of early in the fall a lot of people were getting worried about that orcish bowmasters were just too powerful and they were becoming format warping but i would say that it clearly hasn't been so i mean it's obviously a super nice card but it's not something that destroys sort of a, a large number of decks it's it's of course it's it's a blow to some decks one or two decks are, are made sort of now this is way worse now than it used to be but that's sort of that's always going to happen like one or two decks are always going to take a hit when a new big card comes out and that's just going to be sort of the gist of it but as we've said you know today and and other times as well it really brings a balance in the force in a way and i love him for it i think bowmaster is doing something more balanced than deathrite shaman in that both non-blue and blue decks are playing this card and yeah. how good it's gonna be varies that's why i think it's a healthy card it's a very good reactive card
So with that, let's move on to the year we've just started. I'm going to head over to you, Christopher, right here, because you hinted earlier that you have things coming up in this year. Do tell. Yeah, that's right. I am going to go very hard on a new deck that I'm, I just picked up the last cards for. Mm-hmm. We've talked about maybe my love for certain archetypes and play patterns before. Mainly that Shekpile and uh, Grixis control back in the day were really wholesome decks for me. So moving onward, I'm going to be one of those pesky beam players for a while moving onward. I love 2 for 1-ing and I think this deck is great. I got to play some games against Robin because we were both off work slash school and the deck felt really great and it's really fun besides that we have a league going i'm really excited to see you know play local tournaments this year from the looks of it i think that wizards has gotten their power level quite quite figured out i'd say for normal set releases so i'm just really pumped for legacy this year how about you robin i'm in a similar spot where i'm super pumped about playing just as christopher i'm i'm keen on playing a lot of beanstalk and but i also acquired the cards to play the juju bean rug delver list that won the eternal weekend europe when i have been goldfishing it at home it feels so lean and uh, very strong like card selection is out of this world with Darcy's and 10 uh, cantrips plus the baubles and the druids on top of that so I'm looking forward to testing that out in a more competitive setting as well I'm not really sure if I got the Delver reps <laughs> from when I played Grixis a couple of years again back but hopefully I can wake it up but that, that deck feels very very strong as well super keen on testing that also I don't think that I would play a lot of depths but perhaps i will go back to the roots and play a little bit of lands it seems like the green white version with spheres and plows is the one that is doing best and that seems like quite a balanced version of that deck that can do really well against both fair and unfair decks so keen it's, i mean it has that little bit of stacks <laughs> side of it i mean a lot more win cons than your stacks but but i mean starting out with a sphere and then wasteland locking someone is is a, is a stacksy feeling <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i was like it can handle creatures therefore it's not a stacks deck uh, when the opponent true, true. resolves a creature i'm like it's over <laughs> <laughs> it's over like i need i need to find a bridge and empty my hand or i'm gonna die to this tutu it has a little bit more diverse Reverse game plan, so to say, with the constructs, factories, and uh, 2020s, and all of that jazz. But yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to testing a lot of different decks during uh, the, the coming months. What about you, Victor? Well, my plans revolve largely around uh, sleeving up those uh, the one rings that I just picked up through uh, partially selling my car. <laughs> That's not the reason why I sold the car. It's just I didn't drive it enough. And, uh, you know, but a bonus effect of uh, sort of getting rid of that was that I have now a place at the rings. And it all has all that big deck energy that I want to emulate, I guess. So um, different versions of posts will be tried. And it's an archetype that has quite a steep and long learning curve. And I am at, not at the very bottom but at the very beginnings of that. So I look forward to learning new things. And I always think that local paper play is great for that because people are kind enough to point out, like, actually, I would have done that. And I'd be like, yeah, that's probably a good thing. Thank you. And uh, you always uh, sort of, you know, come away with 
something new in your bag, so to speak. But I would also say that if more people are going down the route that you guys are going with all these Beanstalk shenanigans, I will just bring Reanimator and crush. I actually think the deck you're changing to will crush Beans harder than Reanimator. Do you know Same. how many counter spells and removal spells this deck plays? Yeah, this is true. This is true. Uh, I, I know. At least I know how much I don't care about them. Yeah, with 12 post, you're like... Be my guest. Play that beanstalk. Draw extra cards. Here, here's Emrakul, you nerd. Exactly. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, also, I want to be trying to going to at least two of the three sort of larger magic conventions, or at least conventions in Sweden that has large magic components. I mean, the three of them being Gothcon, Lincoln, and um, Buros, which is the nationals. So Gothcon is Easter. Lincoln is a bit later than that in the spring and uh, Burros as usual November if nothing else changes. And at least two of those three I would love to play at least one large legacy tournament at. So I have like travel goals as well. Cool. They're also actually sort of in my private life, I might be doing an interrail trip sometime during the year in Europe. Nice. And uh, I would love to try and sort of link that up with a tournament in Europe. We'll see if that sort of manifests itself. Lots of logistics need to fall in place if that needs to sort of work. But it would be lovely to take a train to a, to a European tournament as well. So I'm going to try for that. Very cool. So with the last year and coming year out of the way, we want to turn before we close this episode to topics that have been raised in our discord and we're going to start off with a discussion that was completely new to me but seems to have <laughs> a great following and this is bleached cards could someone please explain to our listeners what bleached cards are okay so a way of altering cards are by actually exposing the cards to uv light and uh, this is called sun bleaching or bleaching the cards. And it makes a lot of, well, certain colors to just fade really hard. And uh, this is a way of, you know, giving it a very special touch. The most cards I've seen bleached are Force of Wills, where all of the orange and yellow is just gone. It's just a right. blue, white and black card pretty much. So it can look really cool. What I think is interesting is, you know, how did we end up in a situation where bleached cards are a thing? And I think the best parallel that I could conjure myself is I watched this food documentary when they interviewed this Italian chef. And this Italian chef had a serving and it was the last serving of the night and they dropped a tart and they only make a certain amount of tarts, so there aren't infinite amount of tarts. So they renamed the dessert, oops, I dropped the tart. <laughs> and I think to this day, they still have it on the menu, and now they drop the tarts <laughs> to break them. And this is like a world-class, it's Massimo Bettura is the chef, and it's like yeah, one of Itali like Italy's most famous chefs. This is what I think happened to the bleached cards. Someone just left them in the windshield one day, and they got bleached. And then they were like, I'm gonna run with it. This looks pretty cool. Either that, or someone who actually understands paint, unlike me, <laughs> was like, <laughs> this is something we can do. I think they look cool. I wouldn't do it to my Force of Wills, but Whenever I see it, I get happy because someone went through the effort of doing exactly that, which means they're passionate. 
Yeah, because the effort is huge. People are discussing like how do you the best techniques for getting your cards also like unevenly bleached. Because sort mm. of there are some cards that are popular to bleach that are sort of darker in one side of the of the art and lighter on the other. So you sort of put your cards up in a window at a specific angle in order for them to bleach in a specific way. I mean, this is really next level. I thought sort of white bordering black border cards. <laughs> was sort of, you know, committing deep to a weird alteration. But this just blows my mind beyond. I have so much respect for people who engage this deeply with their cards like this. It's, uh, I think it's amazing. I, I just want to thank the people in the Discord who brought this up and brought this to my attention because um, I'm, I'm heartwarmed. Yeah, what, what I really like about bleaching is like, nowadays, you know, each card have like, 10 different arts and they are like extended border non-extended border you can find a version of your card that speaks to you but like in the old days it was usually just one art maybe two arts and this was a way to like if you don't want to to have a curly foil deck this was one way to make your deck stand out and be something special which i don't think is as common these days some people do their own extensions of the cards so on old cards or cards that are not printed with extended borders and that kind of alterations to make them stand up but like bleaching is is a really committed way of doing it like we talked about and uh, it's one of the points that robin brought up the first time i saw a bleached card was force of will and this was also in an era where foil versions of force of will did not exist yet so this was the way to make a flashier version of force of will I have yet not seen a bleached card that hasn't looked good. So, Mm. like, I haven't seen the failed versions. (laughs) If there are, please do share with us in the Discord because I need to be proven, like, you can actually fail this. There's a risk. I think it's a very nice way. Like, oh, I can't. I have this super foiled out control deck or whatever but i like i have normal forces and then when you see those you know that they care about all the cards and not it's not just a price point it is a way of expressing your deck or making it as pretty as you can okay second shout out to our discord (laughs) before we really end tonight our first episode of the year is a pizza discussion Context for international listeners here is that traditionally, and I do not know the genesis of this, but for as long as I can remember at least, and I'm 40, pizzas in a pizza restaurant always have a specific name depending on the ingredients of a pizza. And I know this is true in in some countries, at least for some pizzas in some countries. But for example, a very basic tomato sauce, cheese, ham pizza is a Vesuvio in Sweden. Wherever you go, whichever pizza parlor, if you ask for a Vesuvio, this is the pizza you get. If you ask for a calzone, it's basically a Vesuvio, but it's double baked on itself, etc., etc. And some of these names are are, are sort of, um, have gone out of fashion. There used to be a pizza called Oprah, which was a, a tuna pizza, which basically sort of has come off the menus 
in most places. When I was a kid, there was also a, a Thousand and One Nights pizza. I can't remember what it was sort of on it. But there are other mainstays that have been there ever since you know I first had a pizza. Fungi, ke- the kebab pizza. Yeah, the kebab pizza, which is self-explanatory. And then there are sort of local exceptions like the Bros Special, which of course you can only get in Bros. You can only you can only survive if you have a certain metabolism as well. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. So with this, we thought, give us a deck, guys, and the other two of us are going to give you the pizza <laughs> that collaborates with this deck in Legacy. Christopher, why don't you go first? So I, I say a deck and you say the pizza. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Give me the epic storm <laughs> in pizza form. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the epic storm in pizza. I'm gonna go for, and this is a, a local special for, from um, where I live, and I'm gonna explain because this. I think there is a s- similar local special everywhere. It's the Darth Vader, <laughs> <laughs> and the Darth Vader pizza at my place where I get my pizza is basically a pizza with so much different things on yeah. it. It's like three different types of vegan meats and spinach and uh, rucola salad and garlic, just fucking every thing on a pizza is the Darth Vader where I live but it's I'm sure it's called many different things in other places and it's just an epic storm of a pizza like nothing makes sense really and, and it's the most priced item on the menu always because it has all the special ingredients on it which is of course the epic storm oh a great one what do you think Robin where is the epic storm I thought the same thing it's, it's, it's something that has a weird combination of different things that sound like they wouldn't fit together, but when you eat it, it's epic. <laughs> so it becomes the epic storm of ingredients. I, I I can't think of anything, but all of those things that you you said, they, they sound like they would create the epic storm with the spinach and all of that. What about you, Robin? Give us a deck. How about oops, all spells? Oh, easy. Okay. Okay, you go first. Yeah, you go. No, you go first. You said it was easy. Hawaii. Hawaii is a pizza in Sweden that has ham and pineapple on it. And it's a a global divider, sort of whenever someone's going to point to horrible Swedish food culture, they bring up this Hawaii pizza that Mm. puts pineapple on a pizza. And it's, you know, the endless fruit on a pizza is this good or bad. Uppsal spells the same thing. You either love this deck or you hate the existence and the possibility of its existence with the bottomless pit of your darkest heart. So, um, Hawaii. So, uh, there are a lot of different brands of microwave pizzas, but I'm going to say that <laughs> Oops, Oops All Spells is uh, a classic in the Swedish household called Billy's Pan Pizza, uh, because you can literally finish a best of five before <laughs> the pizza is ready to be eaten. And it's like three minutes in the microwave. And here's the thing. You always burn the edges, you always burn your tongue, but it's <laughs> always frozen in the middle. And that's exactly what it feels like playing this deck and playing <laughs> against it. Sometimes it's evenly cooked. Most times it's not. <laughs> I just love that we just have this subclass of microwave <laughs> pizza. It's a completely new hole we've opened in this dimension. So, Victor, it's your time. I'm going to give you guys Merfolk. 
well, I, the thing that comes to mind, of course, is some sort of seafood pizza with like tuna and shrimps and clam and all of that things. Which is archetypally called la busula. Yeah, right, right. That's true. For some reason. Yeah. Maybe you have something more clever, Christopher. <laughs> well, this might be a bit of a cop-out, but the day after you have gone out drinking and you've had a lot of pizza and there are still some in the fridge. You take it out, you put it in the oven or the microwave. Oh God, both <laughs> my answers are microwave related. <laughs> Merfolk is not a pizza. It's the concept of when the pizza needs to be had. <laughs> what Was it better yesterday? Yes. <laughs> but it gets the job done mm. when you need it the day after wow so that's merfolk wow. i love how you meta game this pizza discussion you're great at this game christopher <laughs> that's my answer the answer is obviously polpo uh, which is uh, squid pizza that you microwave <laughs> <laughs> and that is all we have for this episode here's hoping for 2024 with even more people at large tournaments cards that improve the total level of fun and stockholm legacy report pizza reports from these larger tournaments robin in the new year we can our listeners follow you you can follow me on uh, x i am jacka underscore boo you can find me there as well i'm uh, monolith mtg and I'm also there as Disco Drogo. And that is the end of the 110th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robinson Sin and Christopher Wikström. I am Victor Bernhards. Many thanks to you guys for listening. The great and mysterious Francis Fritner music. You can find more of their work on Spotify. If you want to add to the pizza discussions or if you want to add to the Bleached Cards collection, you can do so in the Discord. You can find the link in the episode description. Until our next episode, guys, take care of each other and put on some extra clothes because it's super fucking cold. <laughs>